Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, Paratruthers. This week's episode is brought to you by our patrons over on Patreon.com forward slash Paratruth. With their help, we are continuing to bring amazing new content to our listeners every week. So if you feel the urge to donate, head on over to Patreon.com forward slash Paratruth where you can just donate only a dollar and get some amazing rewards for your donation. Again, that's paratruthradio.com forward slash paratruth. Go check it out. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? Something How's it going, Paratruthers? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And tonight we've got a pretty awesome show for you. We're going to be discussing something called voodoo, or more specifically, hoodoo. And, you know, this is one of those subjects that's kind of tossed around. And some people believe that it is good. Some people believe it's bad. Uh, some people just believe that it's just one of those things that is out there that uh, is part of a religion. And tonight we're going to be bringing on a very special guest to talk about this, an author by the name of Tony Kale. Tony is an ethnographer and writer. He holds a degree in cultural anthropology and has researched magical religious cultures for more than 25 years. His work has taken him from voodoo ceremonies in New Orleans to Haitian Bodonicas in Harlem and spiritual churches in East Africa. He has lectured at more than 100 universities, hospitals, and public safety agencies. Tony has been featured on CNN Online, the History Channel, and numerous radio, television, and print outlets. Everyone, help me welcome Tony Kale. All right, Tony, welcome to Paratruth Radio. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. All right. So before we get started, I know you have a book out called uh, A Secret History of Memphis Hoodoo, Root Workers, Conjurers, and Spirituals. Uh, but before we get into that a little bit and a little bit about uh, what we had talked about through emails, I wanted you to give everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in researching uh, this this area. Well, you know, I uh, I was born and raised uh, in uh, uh, West Tennessee, and uh, from a young age, uh, living in Memphis, we would see signs of hoodoo and, and African-American conjure traditions uh, in some of the shops on Bill Street. And uh, you would hear about things in the community. And uh, but but as a child, I didn't really grasp what I was looking at. And years later, I would become friends uh, with a guy whose grandmother was a root worker. And I actually went and spent some time with her and did some interviews with her and, and learned 
sort of about her background and what she believed and practiced. And uh, during this time, too, uh, you know, I, I, again, I really, uh, where I live in West Tennessee, uh, that was something that always remained sort of hidden. Uh, you know, and, and as you delve deeper into the culture, you realize it's not so hidden, uh, in, in certain communities. Um, but, uh, for the most, it, it, it's sort of obscure and sort of, uh, kept, kept under the table, if you will. Mm. And there's a number of reasons for that, but, um, we, uh, years later, uh, I started doing some work, um, uh, with, uh, youth who were, uh, kind of, uh, in and out of some really dangerous practices from street gangs to, uh, some of the more dangerous aspects of occultism. And, um, I started doing research in this area and would find that a lot of different belief systems would come in and out of our area that, uh, for the most law enforcement were, were very unfamiliar with. They had never encountered. And so, uh, anytime there was a call where there may be an altar or a shrine, you might find, um, officers who, who frankly may, you know, be a little anxious about dealing with it. Not understanding, you know, is this something that can harm me? Is this something that, uh, is, you know, just sort of benign and, and I don't need to worry about it. And so during this time, I, I started going and, and spending time doing field work, um, with, with different religious cultures and, um, trying to learn about what they practice and why they do what they do. And, um, years later, I would, would go to Africa and do some work with a, an NGO group there, uh, with some, some medical outreach there and, uh, encountered a lot of things that, that fascinating, uh, enough were remnants of, uh, what started Hoodoo and, and a lot of the uh, African and African American traditions here in the U.S. So, you know, I, things I might see growing up in a shop, whether they be, you know, candles or powders or, or dried herbs, uh, in, in East Africa where I was at, we would actually see traditional healers using, uh, very similar materials. And we know that, you know, that's sort of the source of where a, a lot of those practices came from. Uh, years later, uh, I started doing, uh, doing research into the, uh, uh, the hoodoo and root work culture in Memphis and was just blown away to find such a deep lineage of that culture in the mid south going all the way back, uh, to, to slavery. And so that sort of brings us to where we are now. Okay. Now, for everybody who doesn't know the difference, what's the difference between hoodoo and voodoo? I mean, in New Orleans, you always hear about voodoo, and it's interesting that hoodoo is pretty predominant in Memphis, but what's the difference between the two? Sure. Um, well, you know, we, we often see those two terms put together, and, and there are some similarities, but there are some major differences. Um, voodoo is a religion. It has... Uh, specific deities. It has a specific, um, you know, sacred teachings. There are specific rituals and, uh, uh there's actually a, a clergy, a social structure in that particular religion. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, hoodoo, hoodoo is more of a set of practices. Um, and, and both of them originate from African traditional religion. And, and one way I always like to explain it is they're branches of the same tree, but they're very different branches. So kind of like and Christianity so, with the different denominations. Uh, yeah, they, it just sort of manifested in, in different ways. Okay. You know, um, African traditional religion manifested, uh, in Nigeria and later Cuba to give us what we now know as Santeria. Um, it did it, uh, in the Dominican Republic in a way where we have, uh, religions, uh, like the, uh, 21 divisions of, of voodoo. And, uh, so it, it just sort of branched off in different manners. And, and again, hoodoo is more of a, more of a set of practices as opposed to, to a specific religion. Okay. So would, would hoodoo be more along the lines of just more so like, uh, like the book says, root working, magic work, that sort of a thing? Yeah, specifically magic work. Um, hoodoo, was practiced and still is practiced by people from a number of different religious backgrounds. Uh, and so it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, a lot of work involving magic, uh, to bring about love, to bring about luck, uh, to bring out, uh, pr- protection. Um, you know, you, you might, uh, carry something like the, uh, John the Conqueror route, uh, which is believed to, to give you protection or to, to give you luck in specific situations. And so it just, uh, again, it's more of a set of those practices. And, and although there are a lot of common patterns you'll see throughout history with that, it is changing. And a lot of it changes according to where it pops up. Um, hoodoo in Memphis, Tennessee and hoodoo in the Carolinas is a very different animal. Um, You've got uh, the influence of the African Gullah culture uh, in in the Carolinas. You also have uh, Appalachian-based uh, hoodoo. And so each one uh, just sort of manifests differently depending on where where those seeds were planted. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, one thing that I was looking through the book here a little bit, and I noticed uh, one of the chapters is named The War on Hoodoo. What is the war on hoodoo? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, the war on hoodoo is a, a very interesting part of Memphis history. Um, as we started watching in, in, in historical record, um, the, the proliferation of hoodoo throughout Memphis, we started seeing this sort of a focused crackdown on the religion. Um, you would have police reports uh, back in the, you know, back in the forties where, uh, police would go into, uh, areas where, uh, former slaves might be living and they would round up, uh, people who are practicing root work and they would take, uh, their mojo bags and their herbs and different things. And, uh, you would see a number of different police operations focused on stopping hoodoo. And at the same time, you would see in in local newspapers and and journals where there was a public that was extremely frightened of hoodoo because there were all these allegations floating around that hoodoo specifically Memphis hoodoo was very tied to New Orleans voodoo 
and and the the stream of information coming out of New Orleans at the time was that that voodoo that is practiced in New Orleans uh, means child sacrifices, uh, animal sacrifices, these these just uh, you know uh, large widespread groups of of violent uh, practitioners, and so that fear came into Memphis, and we actually could see reports of where people were saying, oh, these, uh, you know, and, and, and it was uh, focused primarily on African Americans in the area that, oh, this African religion is this, this paganism that's coming to steal your children. And there were even reports where uh, they would talk about on a specific night locking your windows because, uh, you know, the hoodoo uh, men were going to come and steal your babies and things like this. And so during this time, there were very specific, uh, operations performed. And, you know, it, it, on one hand, especially from someone who, who does train for law enforcement, you, you, you understand the wanting to be aware of, you know, uh, potential threats in an area. But the flip side is, as a lot of this stuff started coming out into the media and in the police reports, you saw there was very much a very, heavy bias because you would see things like, uh, you know, we arrested this, this root worker on this street on this day and we preached to him about the evils of superstition that he was practicing. And, uh, we would take their, their mojo bags and burn them in a furnace and, uh, tell them about this is this, you know, uh, ugly superstition coming out of Africa and they, they need to stop doing this. And, so there was, it was very much a, a war on, on the hoodoo culture. Now, were they just worried about, like, I'm assuming these people were Christian or, or Catholic or something like that. Were they worried more so about that aspect of it? Were they more worried that maybe this was some type of, uh, form of criminal activity? What was going on with that? Well, you know, it, it and looking in, when we look at this, we have to look at this in, in context of Memphis, um, anywhere from the, the thirties to the fifties. Um, Memphis had a very thri- a very much a thriving slave market and, uh, a lot of Africans were being brought from other plantations in the U.S. to Memphis. And so there was this, uh, this heaviness in the air. Of, of, at the time, the, the white community versus, uh, Africans and African Americans. And there was this fear that, oh, these, you know, these, these black people are going to get loose and come kill your babies. And, and so during this time, with all this kind of, of feeling in the air, there was the feeling of threats and, and it wasn't just specifically, you know, my worldview differs from that of the root worker. It, it wasn't, you know, I believe in, in Christianity while this person believes in African religion. It was very much a, a, it was a fear of the unknown. Um, and there was also some elements to it that, that are, uh, that are beneath the surface. You, you see with, with African traditional religions, Historically, there are a lot of cases where African traditional religions were bonding mechanisms for slaves. And so slave owners did not want slaves to have that in their hands. 
Haitians. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we saw, you know, the Haitian revolution started as a result of a, a voodoo ritual. Right. Uh, we, we've seen, uh, uh, Nat Turner's uprising. There were elements of conjuring root work in, in that, uh, history of that. So there was this fear. Uh, among a lot of people, just to put it bluntly, that the black man would rise up now that he had some sort of spiritual power. And, you know, on the flip side of it, what's what's interesting, when you dig into the root working culture, historically, a lot of the root working culture um, was almost a form of therapy for some slaves because you would hear slaves write in their journals about how um, you know, this man has beat me. He's taken my wife from me. He's taken my child. He makes me work all day for next to nothing. You know, I know I can't hit him in the mouth. <laughs> so maybe I can do this specific ritual or maybe I can carry this specific, you know, item on me that'll protect me from him. And so, uh, n- not necessarily, um, do you need to, believe that to understand that uh as far as is believe in the efficiency of it but but understanding the historical context of when and how a lot of this was going on mm-hmm. well i mean i mean the times have changed so drastically i was <laughs> i was just wondering it, it, you know is that really still happening now where where cops are Busting down doors and that sort of thing for hoodoo workers, or is it kind of calmed down since that point? As far as hoodoo and root work, it's it's very different now uh, in that context. Now, um, I will tell you there there is a great need uh, for education in in understanding some of the different cultures that are out there, and and from someone who has worked in law enforcement and someone who works educating law enforcement, I can tell you that that need is there because, you know, officers are busy. They're, they're busy taking care of calls involving violence and abuse and, 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 you know, things that are threatening society. And so the, the average street cop does not have time to sit down and take a course in religion. Um, so that's why I think it's very important that we're able to uh, put education out there and, and make officers aware of what they'll see. Because, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, officers just want to know, is this something that's going to hurt me? Is this something that's hurting someone else? Is there a crime being committed? Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're seeing, and, and, uh, we, we, uh, I think you and I, we corresponded briefly via email uh, about some of the cases going on now mm-hmm. uh, where there are allegations of abuse uh, sort of in concert with African traditional practices. And and you're finding cases where officers are like, what is this? What are we looking at? You know, because obviously there's criminal aspects popping up with some of this stuff. Now, we, we can actually get into this a little bit. Um, you'd email me saying that uh, there's... Nigerian Jew and West African voodoo being used to coerce and manipulate women into sex trafficking. Now, are they just like casting spells? Are they using drugs or, or maybe just other herbs or mixes that are doing this? What's going on there? Well, what we're finding is there's a number of uh, human trafficking organizations 
that will go to vulnerable communities. And we're finding a lot of these communities in areas of sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, they'll go into a community and they'll start recruiting. They'll, they'll tell women in the community, Hey, I can take you to Europe. I can take you to, uh, the U.S. and we will give you a job. You can work on people's hair. You can be a fashion model. Um, but you'll work for us. And so, uh, these, this recruiting, uh, goes on and, and during this, before they leave, they will go to a local shrine, uh, to a particular deity or, or spirit and they'll make that person take an oath. And this oath will be a spiritual oath in which they promise to be obedient to the person that takes them to, to wherever they're going. Uh, the part of the oath is a promise that they will not tell, they will not reveal who took them there. And this basically is forming sort of a mystical bond between the victim and, and the trafficker. And so the result of this, we're seeing, uh, Cases where, uh, Nigerian women and girls are being taken from their communities. Uh, they're being taken through areas like Libya over into Spain. Uh, once they are brought in areas like Spain and even here in the U.S. and in, in areas of Europe, um, outside of the, uh, outside of Spain and, and, uh, some of the other areas there, um, there are a, uh, uh traffickers who basically have it set up to where once women get there, instead of putting them in these jobs that they promised, they force them into prostitution. They force them into becoming sex slaves. And we're, we're seeing that there, there are a number of cases where these women are scared to death to leave this life because they made that mystical bond. And really what we're seeing is sort of an exploitation of local beliefs. They know that, uh, you know, uh, if I go to this specific village, uh, this, this girl is most likely going to respect these African gods or these African spirits. So what I'll do is I'll psychologically entrap her to us by making her fear that these gods are going to hurt her if they turn against us. And we've seen in a number of cases where many girls, even after the traffickers have been arrested, uh, many girls are refusing uh, to testify because they're scared to death uh, of, of the oath that they've taken. And uh, these traffickers have enlisted the aid of ritual specialists in some of these different villages. Um, there, uh, there was a case where uh, a, a girl tried to leave her traffickers. She, she didn't want to, to, work as a prostitute and, and make money for them. And so uh, the the traffickers contacted a local priest who ran one of the local shrines in the village, and he summoned the victim's family to the shrine and basically said, you do understand the power of this particular God and what this God can do to your family if your daughter breaks this oath. And so there's a lot of manipulation going on, um, and, and there's a number of cases going back 14 years now um, of of different cases with traffickers using uh, the the threat of of African uh, religious traditions.
So, I mean, I guess the police kind of have a basis to be fearful of these different practitioners because of that, right? Well, when you get to dealing with, with traffickers, absolutely. And, you know, um, they're, they're, and I know this is sort of a, a this is sort of a standard disclaimer, but it's true. You know, the majority of practitioners of African traditional religions are, are, are not into this kind of stuff and, and don't want to harm police and, and harm children and that kind of thing. But with these traffickers, you know, they're, they're basically, um, prostituting these religions, uh, to, to, you know, gain power over girls. And it's interesting. The, um, you know, I know a lot of this sounds very new to us here in the U S um, and, and really foreign to us. Uh, but, but let me tell you, it's, it's so, uh, it's made such an impact in Africa that one of the kings over Benin city in Nigeria has actually done a public ceremony where he has allegedly cursed, uh, cursed human traffickers. And likewise, he has also, uh, allegedly broken the oaths that many of the, uh, victims have, have taken, uh, under duress, um, you know, to, to sort of give them this, this freeing mentally. Um, you know, again, as someone from the West, that, that may sound really far out and, and unbelievable, but I think again, it's, it's very much a, uh, a just a sign of, of how much, uh, Victims in these communities are, are being affected by this stuff. That there, there would even be a need for someone in that particular belief system to, to step up and say, this has to stop. Mm-hmm. Now, so they're basically using it as a scare tactic pretty much more so than being practitioners of voodoo. Then. Absolutely. Now they are engaging some practitioners of of, uh, uh, Nigerian juju, okay. uh, and West African voodoo. Um, and, and just, uh, as far as the understanding on juju, um, for the listeners, uh, juju is, is sort of a, uh, in fact, a lot of practitioners don't care for that term so much, but, uh, juju is, Almost a, a, it's like hoodoo, it's a practice. It's not a specific religion, um, but it is a practice. And most of the time when juju is mentioned in an African context, much in the same way when witchcraft is mentioned in an African context, it's always, uh, almost always identified with some sort of malevolent sorcery. Um, you know, if you mention witchcraft in Mexico uh, or in Africa, People don't start thinking about Wicca. They, right. they immediately start thinking about sorcery. Right. So when we, when we talk about juju, that has more of a connotation of, of sorcery. Uh, and, and so this is what's being used, uh, in, in many of these cases to, to affect this, this type of trafficking. Well, I mean, I guess that goes to show the, the phrase, this is a bunch of bad juju. That that's pretty much where that comes from. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, it, living in Memphis and and doing the book, I actually was reading through a couple of these chapters here. Um, there are actually churches and temples of hoodoo in Memphis. Well, you know, 
back in the uh, late 60s, uh, when the word hoodoo sort of became taboo, um, and it was equated with, with uh, devil worship and witchcraft and things like that, um, out of New Orleans grew a, a uh, system of churches uh, known as the, the New Orleans uh, Spiritualist Churches, and what many of these churches did is they um, sort of codified the practices of, of hoodoo and, and uh, black spiritualism and placed them in a church context. So where before you might go down the street and go to, you know, Aunt Sally's apartment where she would anoint you with oil to take away your sickness, you would now go to a church where a prophetess, would perform this type of ritual to take away a sickness. And so we started seeing uh, the growth of these churches out of New Orleans. And Memphis actually was home to, to a number of these, these spiritual churches. And uh, it's, it's interesting, one of the major spiritual churches out of uh, New Orleans uh, was uh, started um, by a lady named Leafy Anderson. And, um, earlier by Mother Catherine Seals. And, uh, this church actually had branches, uh, in Memphis for a while. And it's interesting. It's all part of the, the, the growth of the, the hoodoo and African American spiritual cultures in Memphis. You started seeing these churches pop up as well. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Now, is hoodoo kind of like voodoo where they have high priests and priestesses and that sort of a thing? No, actually, there's there's no set clergy in hoodoo. Now, you uh, typically would have uh, people who are designated as healers uh, and conjurers, and most of the time healers were uh, believed to be born with a specific spiritual gift uh, to heal and to, to use different uh, materials to bring about healing and luck and things like that. Or that person may be trained by someone or, or called to this particular area, the same way we might say someone is called to, to Christian ministry. Uh, they would, they believe that someone may be called to healing in this particular culture. And, uh, within Memphis and, and within a lot of cities where, uh, African American based hoodoo was popular, you would hear healers, uh, take on titles that were sort of family names, like you would hear Uncle Dub or, 
you know, Mother Jones or, um, you know, Father, Father Smith. And, um, these became known as basically people in the community you could go to, uh, if, if you needed some kind of guidance. But, uh, there wasn't any specific, uh, you know, codified clergy that you had to go through specific ranks to be known as a healer, uh, or a conjurer. Although, you know, there, there, uh, there were those that were considered, I guess, more powerful than others uh, in different aspects. Okay. Now, another chapter in the book, The Wizards of Beale Street. Tell us a little bit about that. What are the Wizards of Beale Street? Well, you know, now when you walk Beale Street uh, among a lot of the blues clubs and, and little tourist shops, you'll you'll see remnants of hoodoo. There's a couple of shops that offer dried herbs and candles and powders and things like this. And uh, a lot of it sort of has the, the vibe you get as you go through the, you know, French Quarter in New Orleans. There's there's that element of, of touristy voodoo, you know. Mm. Um, but Bill Street itself um, actually has a, a deep, deep lineage uh, connected to voodoo. And with that, you know, when, when Bill Street was, was first, um, brought together, uh, a man named Robert Church, he was the, the South's first black millionaire, um, decided, you know, during the time of segregation that there needed to be a place where African Americans could, could come and enjoy businesses and, and nightclubs and restaurants that were specifically African American, um, you know, focused. And so, uh, as Bill Street began to be established, not only did you have, you know, areas where some of the world's most famous blues musicians, uh, came out of and played, but you also had a number of root workers and conjurers that popped up on Bill. And that was just part of the local African American culture. Now, what's interesting too is that among, uh, the different root workers on Bill, uh, how many uh, that, that we saw throughout the years, you know, uh, rub elbows with famous blues musicians. And we even saw a couple of our blues musicians, um, you know, uh, who would get involved in, in hoodoo and became known for their involvement, uh, in, in hoodoo. And, uh, so, you know, it, uh, uh, Bill Street definitely has a lineage and, and, uh, there were also a number of reports where, um, you know, Police would find um, conjurers who were uh, selling their wares, and and a lot of the conjurers would be arrested uh, for practicing medicine without a license. And uh, so this, you know, this came something uh, that uh, became a, a hot topic of of uh, controversy on Bill Street as well. Mm-hmm. No, that, that actually makes a lot of sense because it really medicine came from. Root working, you know, uh, right. working with stones. People called it magic, but at the time, that's pretty much what it would have been. So that's interesting that that's basically what they were busting them for. Now, you were talking about actually working with uh, law enforcement, and you've been in law enforcement yourself. What got you into doing that aspect of it, like educating them and that sort of a thing? Well, you know, um, years ago, 
when I was working as a sheriff's deputy, we received a call. Uh, well, some other deputies had received a call that there was a man and woman in a local park and they were, uh, uh, partaking of some, some illegal drugs. And, uh, when deputies responded to the call and they, they arrested, uh, this couple, uh, the, the female, um, had a, a lot of different ritual paraphernalia on her, and, on her, and she was telling the officer that she was a Wiccan priestess. And he freaked out, and there was this big, you know, scare that, you know, oh, my gosh, now we have witches coming in the area from, you know, different areas, and, you know, are they are they hurting animals? Are they going to kill children? And right. things like this. Um, and not long after that, we had an incident up toward Nashville, Tennessee and on a, on a piece of private property where, uh, this guy looks out his window and he sees, uh, this group of people, uh, at, at the property next to him. They, they've got a fire. Uh, they're drumming. They're chanting. There's children out there. There's people in robes. Uh, there's a dog out there that he's really sure is probably going to get sacrificed. And, uh, so this call goes out. And law enforcement swoops in from, from the, you know, from the state, from the county, from the city. They all come in and uh, they assess that essentially what's going on is a, a, a Wiccan ceremony and it's, uh, uh, there's, there's nothing being sacrificed. There's not any kind of violence or criminal activity going on. And basically the state officer says, you know, Hey, just, just tone it down. You know, this guy kind of doesn't really get what you are doing, but you're on your private property. And if the worst thing you're doing is, is making a loud noise, just quiet down. Uh, well, a local sheriff shows up and the local sheriff wants to know what's going on. And they go through the routine again. And he announces that, uh, he asked the members of the group, what are you doing? And they said, well, this is our religion. And he said, well, what are your children doing out here? And they said, well, you know, do you, do you have children? Do, do they go to church? Cause that's what ours are doing. They're attending a religious ceremony and, he makes the comment that this is no religion and it will not be practiced in his county. Well, nonetheless, uh, the group was uh, very upset and very quick to uh, want to seek uh, legal ramifications against uh, this person who was, you know, uh, hindering their practices. And so uh, I received a call from someone I had known in the community that was like, look, this is going to get ugly. But we know that really law enforcement just did not understand what they were seeing. That, that's, that's the crux of this. And so I said, well, let's, let's do this. I said, let's, let's get everybody together that was there and we're going to sit down and we're going to interview. I want to interview every person there and we're going to video it. And what I'm going to do is when I do training for different departments, I'm going to use this footage and we're going to talk about what could have been done different on both sides of this issue. Uh, because instead of, you know, uh, this becoming a big mess for law enforcement and a big mess for the people involved with the case too, um, let's, let's, what can we do? What can be better about this? What can we learn from this? And it was sort of at that point that it made sense that that's, what needs to be done is sort of a demystifying of things that, you know, really here in the Bible Belt are considered 
scary and, and, and criminal many times. Uh, they may, they may be different than what you and I believe. They may be different than what a police officer believes. But if there's not criminal activity, uh, or there's no threat of violence there, uh, then we need to be able to understand that and, and then refocus on those individuals that are committing crimes and are a threat to society. And, uh, so that's things sort of started from there. And, um, I went and spent some time in Miami, uh, studying the Afro-Caribbean religions because we, we started seeing some of those here in the West Tennessee area. And again, there was a, an element of, of, uh, not really understanding what was being seen. And um, during this time, I, I met a cultural anthropologist, and um, he helped me to really put a lot of this in a, in a framework that, that I really appreciated because I, I believe that when it comes to law enforcement, there needs to be a balance of academic knowledge and street knowledge. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to have both. And, and I, I, I think that's something that, that helps everyone. And so I went back to school and, and, uh, got a degree in cultural anthropology and started just doing field work, um, around the U.S., uh, and in Africa and, um, taking this knowledge and bringing it back to, to share with public safe, safety agencies. And outside of law enforcement, we also do training for, uh, you know, doctors and nurses and, uh, first responders because they also see, you know, when they go into a patient's room, if you, you have a, a little grandmother that has a bracelet on that's to keep away the evil eye, um, mm-hmm. they want to know why she freaks out when you try to take that bracelet off, you know? Right. So, um, I think it's very important that we bring this, this cultural competence to the table for all of us. Now, this is probably more so my, my ignorance, but have you come across anything where uh, there's been hoodoo practitioners that have sacrificed animals or anybody who's just trying to use that as a scare tactic to to bring bad uh, vibes to the, the hoodoo community, anything like that? You know, as far as hoodoo, I personally have not. However, I do... I do have a, a friend who's a, an anthropologist and he has done a lot of work in the Carolinas uh, among their hoodoo communities for years. And, and, you know, he'll tell you that there's some, there's some old timers in some of the swamp lands in the low country that you do not want to mess with. And that, you know, the, the, the threat of somebody disappearing or something bad happening, uh, is there uh, among some of the, the old time conjurers. Uh, who are there, you know, for, for the most we, we see, um, uh, as far as, uh, someone feeling threatened, if you will, um, more, it'd be more likely that there would be the threat of magically being attacked, uh, than physically being attacked. Now I will say that being said, we have seen historically, uh, some cases and I mentioned, uh, a few in the book about, uh, cases where you know, a root worker will um, say they're going to, you know, uh, put a root on somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the person uh, attacks the root worker. Or we, you know, see situations where um, there was a situation out of Memphis where there was a pastor uh, of a, a, one of the spiritual churches who told a uh, 
told a woman in his congregation that he had crossed her, uh, that, he, that he had essentially had cursed her, if you will. And her son and daughter drove to Memphis from Coldwater, Mississippi, uh, and attacked the, the minister and shot the minister um, because they believed that that, that was a, a reality, that, that their mother had been cursed by that. But as far as seeing um, practitioners, uh, you know, uh, doing animal sacrifice and things like that, um, I haven't personally uh, in in that in the specific culture of, of hoodoo. Now, you know, some of the other Afro-Caribbean traditions and and some things like that. Right. Yeah, there's animal sacrifice is very much a reality, but not so much here in the states. Is is what you're saying? Mm, no, no, it's it, uh, there is here in the states okay. too. <laughs> yeah, oh, very much so. I I uh, I documented a, a ceremony. Uh, in, uh, in the Midwest a number of years back, uh, in, involving the, the sacrifice of, of a number of animals that a temple was doing. Um, you know, and it was in the back of a residential area. And, um, yeah, that, it, it goes on and, and, you know, I, with animal sacrifice, it's, that's always a very, uh, uh, it's, a, it's always a very sensitive area. I mean, for the most, when we think of animal sacrifice, we think of somebody, you know, just butchering animals and being cruel and things mm-hmm. like that. Right. When you look at the African traditional religions in their context, uh, you know, I, I would be in a village in Africa and there'd be a family that the only thing they had was a chicken. That is all they had. Well, they, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed, um, that say their child would be well, you know, uh, would be healed from a sickness. And, uh, if that child was healed, then they believed we have to give the most important thing we have to that particular God, uh, or goddess. And, um, maybe the chicken is, is what we need to give. And in that particular context, um, there's more of an understanding of why it's done. Um, it, you know, it's not something I do for my personal spiritual, you know, uh, tradition, but, um, but there is a cultural context and a lot of it, uh, although it's not necessarily something we like to think about, but a lot of it is, uh, one person's version of, of almost creating kosher. Uh, foods of, of doing kosher butchering where there is a, a specific religious ritual or religious context applied to that particular uh, sacrifice. But when we get into the area of, of you know, uh, people being cruel to animals and torturing animals and, um, you know, killing animals that aren't necessarily animals we traditionally kill and eat, such as, you know, like a chicken, um, then that's a whole different area, and uh, that's a horrendous, horrendous area. And unfortunately, we do have some of that as well here in the U.S. Okay. Now, we do have quite a few Christian listeners that listen to the show, and the one question that comes to mind, and it's mostly because there is a lot of fear out there, they would say, you know, hoodoo or or voodoo is that of the devil. Now, in my personal opinion, I, I don't feel that way. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? It, um, as far as 
that type of, of uh, mindset? You know, I, as an anthropologist, I deal with what people believe. Um, and I observe and, and document where people are coming from. Um, to some people, um, they might go to, say, China and watch a Buddhist pray and say, that particular person is praying to the devil. Um, as you watch and observe and learn from that particular practitioner, um, the devil is not in their belief system, is not in their worldview. Um, you know, I, I, I trace it back, you know, when, when Paul was talking at Ephesus, uh, there was a point um, that he made a comment about people being very religious. You know, you people are very religious. He didn't, he didn't say you people are a bunch of Satanists or you people are a bunch of baby killers. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he, he essentially said, and I know I'm, I'm (laughs) being very, very, uh, uh, liberal with, with this explanation of what he said, but basically he said, look, I see you people have a belief system that is not what I believe. And, and, is not what we feel Christianity represents. And I feel like, you know, that's, that's the same with hoodoo. I feel like hoodoo is an African traditional religious practice. Um, it, it may not be what you and I term Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe it's Satanism. Um, but it is a, a different, um, approach to the world. And uh, while it may be someone else's, it's it's not necessarily mine. Right. Now, with that being said, do you think there's anything to this hoodoo voodoo magic? Is uh, do you think it can affect things the way that the spells are meant to? You know, I'll, when it comes to spell work, regardless of whatever magical religious culture is is performing spell work. I always think there's a couple of explanations. You know, first and foremost, if first and foremost, it works. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one explanation. Um, two, the potential of the power of suggestion. You know, the, the power of suggestion is so strong. Uh, even in these cases involving juju and, and human trafficking, um, that, that the threat of spiritual coercion. Uh, is a reality and it can affect someone. You know, even the, the American Psychological, uh, our American Psychiatric Association recognizes, um, the concept of root work in their, uh, DSM manuals. Um, they talk about it as a cultural bound syndrome. And basically they say someone in this particular culture that subscribes to this particular culture can be affected psychologically by some of these practices. Um, and you know, I, I see that. I and mean, we have seen fakes, you know, that that's also trickery and commion is also a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, so there's a number of different explanations and I, and I feel like we've seen a little bit of all of them. <laughs> right. Um, I, I will say, um, there does, I, I would say that, that logic would say there does, have to be 
something to the use of magic uh, for it to be around as long as it has, for these cultures cultures to survive. Um, now, what it is and how it is, uh, that I, I don't know. You know, and I don't, um, I don't believe that every, um, you know, uh, if if someone gives you a a John the Conqueror root, uh, one of the more famous roots used in in hoodoo and root work, and and you put it in a little bag, and then you go and you play baseball, and you feel really empowered because you have this object with you, um, and you do really well. You know, you you pitch a great game, you you uh, make a couple of home runs. Uh, was it magic? Well, what if we replace that with a four-leaf clover? Or what if we replace that with uh, a necklace that had a cross on it? Is it is it the object or is it the belief in the object that's sort of psychologically pumping you up? That I don't know. I guess it depends on the individual. That's funny that you bring that up because uh, my co-host and I talked about this, I believe it was last episode, that uh, a symbol does not have power, the belief that you put into it, the faith that you put into it is what makes it powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a, uh, I remember reading a story years ago about a missionary who was in Africa and there was a particular people group who, who put a lot of focus on a particular tree that, that grew in this community. And they talked about, you know, whatever you do, don't go near this tree and this tree has power and the spirits are, inside this tree and one day the missionary cuts a branch off that tree and of course there's this this reaction by members of the community and it's like oh my gosh you know he's he's surely going to die right you know uh bad things are going to happen and uh all of this you know um is again how do you perceive that symbol you know what what do you see in that symbol and, and what do you apply to that symbol? And, and I, you know, I caught a little bit of, um, I, I caught a little bit of y'all show. And I think one of y'all had brought up, um, the crucifixion of St. Peter mm-hmm. and about how the cross was inverted. Right. He had been um, crucified upside down. Yep. You know, again, it's that viewing that symbol, you know, um, if you and I walked into, if you and I walked into a store and they're selling upside down crosses, you know, the first thing in our minds most likely would be, whoa, they're, it's really anti-Christian. Right, right. But, but what if we walked into a biblical museum and there was an inverted cross explaining the story of what happened in that particular crucifixion? It's, it's context and it's, and it, you know, and, and this is one of the things that, that I, I try to teach officers. Everything is context. Um, what's the difference between a six-pointed star uh, worn by an individual who happens to be Jewish on a necklace or a six-pointed star spray-painted on a brick wall in Chicago? Well, there's a big difference. It's context because that star around the, the young Jewish man's neck is the Star of David. The star painted on the wall may belong to the street gang, the gangster disciples who also use a six pointed star. So it's, you know, what, what do we, what do we see in that symbol? You know, and, 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 and I don't think that symbols and objects 
are inherently evil. You know, we, a lot of times see someone carrying crystals and and they're, you know, some people are like, Oh my gosh, crystal, that's immediately of the devil. Well, you know, God created crystals, right? I know that sounds like a bad thing to some folks, but it's the truth. And so is it the crystal that's bad or is it, uh, uh, or are you projecting what someone believes on that into what makes that item bad? So I think that's very important in how we view and perceive things. And, you know, there, I've had situations where, where, you know, my, my background is I'm, I am a Christian and I have Christians who will say, you know, Oh, it's, it's like you're defending these things. No, you know, what's important is, uh, you know, you don't have to believe in one of these belief systems. In fact, uh, if you want to be totally against one of these belief systems, that's your prerogative, but be accurate in what you speak about other cultures. You may say, you know, the guy who's the Buddhist, he's not a Christian. Okay. Or you might have someone say, the guy who's a Buddhist, he's a Satanist. He's a devil worshiper. Well, that's, that's not entirely accurate. And so I think it's very important, um, that we, that we be accurate in, uh, what we, what we explain and what we share. And, and I think too, you know, I mean, it does not hurt for us to be educated. Um, you know, there's a, uh, I think it's Ravi Zacharias used, uses the term, let my people think. And I, I think that's a great thing. I mean, you, you can, uh, come from a Christian background and also think that's not a dirty word. You know, you don't have to leave, um, your, your thoughts at the door, uh, as far as an understanding of the world around you. Right. Well, and that is kind of the whole point of the show, too, is make up your own mind. If you're of a Christian faith, of any other faith, if you don't have a faith at all, listen to the facts. Listen to what these guests are saying or what the research that Eric and I have done. And just that some of it is our viewpoint. Yeah. But at the same time, take it with a grain of salt, do the research yourself, and then you decide what's real, what's bad. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, and you know, one thing that, that I've noticed through the years is there are people who are threatened to learn. Like they don't even want to hear another viewpoint. Well, you know, I've always felt that no matter what your belief system is, if you will not at least have a conversation and listen to what your neighbor is saying they believe in, uh, if, if you're, you know, if you feel like that's going to change your belief system so much, maybe you're not as ingrained in your own belief system as you think you are because, um, it, it doesn't, it's not going to make you a, uh, um, you know, some, some sort of heathen if you're a Christian and you sit down with someone who believes in a different religion and, and shares their faith with you. Um, you don't have to accept it. Or, or, or maybe, you know, maybe you have thoughts about your own belief system. That's, uh, I think it, it's, it needs to be said that we, we need to be listeners. Um, I think it, uh, it, it doesn't hurt for us to, to listen, uh, to, to what our neighbors believe, uh, whether we believe in it or not. Right. 
All right, Tony. Well, it is time to let you go, but I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you, find the book, all that great stuff. Well, uh, at this point, we are uh, um, we're, we're working on a new website, so I, I will uh, guide you to this. Uh, the the book, A Secret History of Memphis Hoodoo, Root Workers, Conjures, and Spirituals, uh, can be found at uh, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and uh, most booksellers, as well as through uh, the History Press uh, online. All right. All right. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on the show, and uh, maybe we'll have you on again sometime soon. It'd be my pleasure. All right. Have a good night. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right, folks. That was Tony Kale, author of A Secret History of Memphis Hoodoo, Root Workers, Conjurers, and Spirituals. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. It was definitely an enlightening show for myself because there is a lot of confusion between hoodoo, voodoo, and um, a lot of a lot of Christian listeners will probably not like everything that we had to say, but hoodoo is just one of those things out there. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, let us know what you think at paratruthradio.com as well as any of the social medias and Spreaker as well. Uh, make sure you're checking out Paranormal UK Radio Network, Conflict Radio, TMV Cafe, Fringe Radio Network, and RadioandPodcast.com. Until next week, folks, where you will find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. Talk to you later, guys. Remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.